Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today we have part two with Dr. Scott Stevenson. And today we're digging more into a question surrounding what changes and main changes has Scott made to his training or nutrition over the past decade. And I think he gives off some really valuable answers here that just highlight the importance of experience within this game and also what you can learn from people who have already gone through these sort of mistakes and who are mature lifters and have kind of walked the walk. So I think there's some really, really valuable insights within this one and I know you'll enjoy it. And to remind you guys, if you're thinking about competing next year, and or you've competed and you want to kind of learn how maybe you could do it better in future or you're a coach and you're going to take on competitors we do have our ultimate guide to contest prep it's an ebook be found within the description box below or over to our website revivestronger.com in our shop and this literally takes you from the start to the finish and also the recovery phase afterwards and your off season we help you along the way training nutrition it's all advised peak week you can find it there it's definitely a guide worth looking at but without further ado let's get into the show you know what's behind these notions that have been around for decades that hadn't been tested and that's awesome it's yeah. uh, it's great you brought up Brad because as soon as you were talking me through this, uh, I was thinking of Brad because he is he so often brings it back to he always uses he he always tells people the limitations of science essentially is what he like he's a scientist but he's not like a scientist till I die it's not like he's like this is the only way you can do things or something right. like this he's like like you said it gives you the kind of the direction to head and then you've mm-hmm. got to go down there and find your road to Rome um, and like right. find your right. direction and where you need to go and. Uh, talking about this, I'd be interested to know what you're looking at when trying to figure out what works for you, because I can talk about some things, at least within the gym that I found to be helpful. And I would say they're not necessarily, there's there's some elements of science to them, but I wouldn't say you can kind of hang your hat on them and say that this is like scientifically like completely correct in terms right. of like proxies for stimulus that I'm feeling. So for oh. something like the, the pump, for example, or kind of uh, the disruption to the muscle is what I would call it. So like um, local fatigue to the muscle, that sort of thing. And kind of using those. And then the other side of the coin is kind of looked at as stimulus and then to fatigue on the other side. Like, is it just making me feel wrecked? Is it kind of feeling in my joints and tissues and things like this? Right. Because I find certain rep ranges, they'll give me more of that kind of side, which I would call stimulus or certain exercises would be. And as I've kind of moved forward, I found... I'm better at selecting the right exercises or rep ranges that can give me more of that. And it just intuitively feels right. And the muscle growth is so slow. So to have like, they're my short-term proxies and longer term, I guess I'm looking at, okay, how am I changing physically? But then there's so many other confounding variables going on that I kind of can make it a bit harder to identify. So I guess there's a two-part question for you there, Scott, in terms of what do you think people should look at to kind of, uh, individualize their training to get that hypertrophic response and what do you think of those kind of shorter term proxies for trying to kind of pass that out yeah there's a lot there's a lot there steve yeah. um so the the thing that is um is interesting and it fits kind of with this mount saint hypertrophy idea is there hasn't been although and i've mentioned this several times hoping eventually kind of maybe heard i may even do some of this with chris barricat i think you know chris yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause they have lots of data is um, to what this idea that function and form are connected, right? We have progressive overload. And the belief there is that if you're 
continually there's kind of two sides to it. You're forcing the adaptation and the adaptation manifests in fun- in terms of function, right? So you keep trying to beat the logbook. And then the fact that you can beat the logbook tells you that you're, you're, you're growing along the way. And to what extent that performance marker is a function of muscle growth versus your nervous system and everything else is, is the question, right? So um, on the one, on the one sense, I think there has to be some performance enhancement along the way. Um, and this is something Jordan Peters has said, because he and I've talked about this before. I know he said it on his Instagram and it's on his, on his discussion board is, you know, people say, what, you know, what, what um, rep range should you train in? And he's like, well, train in all of them, which is what I have in fortitude training and get better in all of them. Right. There may be some people who, who hypertrophy is more linked with performance enhancements in the higher rep range. Um, so you want some sort of movement forward, but we're not trying to train like power lifters who aren't the biggest guys necessarily, or even Olympic lifters. They, they tend to be pretty impressive too, even though they do just mainly concentric stuff. They do a lot of squats and things along the way, it's just that probably contributes. But um, so you, you want some form of progression in terms of long-term, I think it's almost undeniable. Who was I telling this the other day? I, I said to somebody, I've said this so many times, but if you take someone and just make them into a, a massive, I've seen it on your podcast as well. I think yeah, I, I was quoted sure. once. You just, you just make someone absolutely impressive as hell. There's going to have to be some muscle mass that comes along with that. Right. So the thing is when you're going from, you know, just getting your basics down, which can take you a long way. Eventually you want to, you want to put yourself in a position where you're, you're disadvent you're disadvantaged from um, a somewhat of a biomechanical perspective. So that might be, for instance, training in a lengthened position, your knee extension, your bout strength is, is max measures on an ice connect device at about 60% of knee extension. So I think in that, in that Petrosa study, I mentioned, I think it was like from 60 to hundred. So they were in a disadvantageous, they weren't, as, you're not strong in that lengthened position. So you want to train in those positions and then figure out how to get stronger in those positions. So see performance enhancements um, when your performance is maybe shitty, right? So you're not as strong in those, in those exercises, people, and this makes sense. You like to do the exercises that you're the best at. And here's the tricky part is that in some cases um, that can be because uh, you're for whatever biomechanical neurological reasons and the way you adapt you just are growing those prime movers. So your progress on a squat and a deadlift also equates with lots of posterior chain growth. You're getting really, you know, glutes are huge, hamstrings are huge, spinal erectors, crispatory, everything's coming up the way you'd want it to. Um, and that's part of it. But if you're making that progress and you're not growing there, then you're going to have to find some way um, to evoke uh, activation. One of them being like in the lengthened position or a new and novel exercise, getting funky with it, and then start at the at a at a baseline and then try to progress there, keeping your mind muscle connection in place. And that's kind of what you alluded to, like what kind of feels right where you're targeting the muscle that you're trying to hit. I mean, the, we de- there's definitely studies or several studies with the mind muscle connection that can be in, it can be evoked. You can do it just acutely. You just tell people, you know, use your chest instead of your triceps or instead of your shit of your shoulders and they do that they can evoke that with with um emg there's one uh very very interesting um study that that shows that the ability to do that is related to how many years of training you have um and in this study i just love this anecdote i wish i could find these subjects there were they were doing a bench press and they were looking at the extent to which they could uh activate the chest 
or the triceps. And the two most highly trained subjects were had about 20 years of, of training experience. So I don't think I'm most highly trained, but the most experienced one. And one was basically the best at evoking the difference, the ratio of chest, tricep, EMG. And the other one was just about the worst. He couldn't do it at all. And the thing that's interesting there that makes me wonder is if one had been training as a bodybuilder and all of his chest, he'd been had years just activating his chest, making his, you know, maybe doing like Vince Garanda type of, you know, barbell to the neck type of bench pressing and, and those sorts of things, which... Um, could be a little crazy, but everything was focused on making his pressing movements into chest. He didn't care, you know, necessarily that he was bench pressing four plates on his side, or 400 pounds or what have you. And the other guy may have been powerlifter. And he's had literally decades of training as a powerlifter, activate the triceps really strongly involved. He's doing all these things that powerlifters do to move as much weight as possible. And you ask him to do that differently and he can't. So if you can, if you're someone who's not making progress and you've gotten really strong in those big exercises and they're not, for whatever reason, your activation pattern doesn't evoke the growth and the muscles that are the, the prime movers, you're going to have to find something that simply doesn't allow you um, to activate in that way that still targets those muscles. So, you know, some sort of a reverse hyper maybe, or a hyper extension um, using bands or a weight or something that loads where it hits the muscle and you're going to unless you want to bring an EMG into the, into you with the gym and there are issues with EMGs too, you can tell when you're hitting that muscle and muscle soreness is a great um, uh, proxy, so to speak as well, to see whether you've hit something. Not that you necessarily want to evoke as much muscle soreness. That's a whole other topic. So the basics, the basic idea is start with those basics, get as strong as possible. And then I think pick the exercises that are suited to you for whatever reason, what you're able to do, and then also progress as much as possible there. Um, and then figure out in the in that context where you fit on Mount St. Hypertrophy in terms of reps and reserve, um, volume, and load. Because the, the thing I think that um, can happen in that context of activating the muscle, especially if you're just chasing the logbook, and I've been I've done this for years and years and years, is you you're no longer activating the muscle you're trying to train. Right. So, you know, going to zero reps and reserve training a DC style, um, for instance, um, doesn't won't work for some people if they go from doing their pressing movements. Maybe they don't have the best machines for this or they don't have the best equipment or weight or free weights just don't work very well from them. Um, and they just start involving everything else. Their flies go from strict flies to basically sort of fly presses. And they're just getting more reps and they're, they're basically just cheating themselves out of the stimulus in the target muscle that they wanted. So there's got to be a certain amount of, of discipline there. Um, and, you know, a, a good a good feature, a good thing that people can do is a reset on their main exercises. Um, if they notice that joints getting creaky, tendons starting to hurt, like your tricep tendons are killing you from all the pressing you're doing. It's like, these aren't tricep presses I'm trying to do. <laughs> My triceps seem to be getting a lot of this brunt of this. It's just go back literally and do like a pure like fluff pump workout, so to speak. Um and restart everything and say, I'm going to do my squats. I'm going to go all the way down, rock bottom. I'm going to do a, a momentary pause there. And I'm going to drive up chest with my legs. My low back's not going to be in, in this at all. Literally, it's going to be like a piston straight up and down, like a, a Tom Platt style squat, right? 
remember the Tom Platt's Fred Hatfield squat off they did years ago? Did you ever yeah. see? Yeah. You know, Hatfield kills him on the one RM. Yeah. But, and I mean, even in that video, if you watch like the 20, 20 repper that he did with 500 pounds, like he drops down. Of course, he's trying to go fast so he can get as many reps. He's trying to bounce out of the hole, but he literally, this, I think he disappears from the camera because he goes down so fast and it's just straight down. Olympic style. And that's what worked for him. And he would take those sets to failure, but there's not videos of those. Tom did some crazy stuff. Like there's the, the knee extension where he's like screaming, kill me, kill me, you know, he's flopping all over the place. <laughs> um, different, different deal there. But I think with those, with those squats, he prayed to the altar of the squat and the way he squatted worked really well for his legs from everything we know. We can't go back and have him train without the other exercises, but, and there's not these videos of, of Tom Platts as a, as an example of someone who's like, he's going into like, you know, a powerlifter style squat and he's just, it's all low back and he's low back starting to bend or anything like that. He's squatting with really good form. So you'll have to just maybe suck up your ego sometimes and find those exercises where you're not strong, where you're not that impressive. Um, Ken Jackson was someone who John, John trained. Um, and I mentioned him too, in this context, he's the best example that I can think of. And, Ken was basically as strong as Ronnie Coleman on pressing movements. He was just insane. Literally, he's pressing 200-pound dumbbells, almost as many reps as Ronnie. He wasn't as big as Ronnie, but his pressing power was just off the charts. But chest was a weak muscle group for him. And he had to start doing um, things like arms fully extended, really deep pec flies, um, and externally rotating to take the anterior delt out of the movement, those sorts of things, to make sure that his pec was disadvantageous to get funky with as Dante said, I'm repeating myself intentionally because the people, these things will resonate with them. And that's what he had to do. He had to work around his biomechanical and neurological strengths and his muscular strengths in the compound movements and do some isolation things and get funky with it. So, and then you can progress from there. Um, and it's okay. Every once in a while, it's just like push a little bit. It's all, I think effort is, is super duper important. And if you get a little sloppy every once in a while, then next you note that in your logbook and say, okay, the last couple of reps were kind of, kind of bad. What I would usually do in my, my, my um, convention in my logbook would be 10 plus two. Like I did 10 that were solid in the last two. I, I kind of did them because I was a little overamped and I'm not going to count those. So next time I want to get 11 good ones and that's progress. Fewer yeah. reps total, but I did 11 good ones. So I don't know if I addressed everything you mentioned, mentioned there, but. Um, I, I think so. I think it's uh, like some of those shorter term proxies can be great, but. You, you can get all the pump in the world, but if in the long run, you're not getting stronger at that movement, and probably not too much Something going on. <laughs> stronger or more reps or some, yeah. you know, you can, you can also, you know, reduce your rest intervals. Like there's, I think sure. hopefully that's form and function thing. That's, you know, it's kind of crazy because sports science, we talk about exercise science or sports science or kinesiology, the terms are sort of used interchangeably, but performance is so important. And we've got almost every study that's been done like all the resistance trainings, they, they document that they use progressive overload. So you've got the documentation of who progressed the most. And all you got to do is run the correlation. They've probably got a million subjects. If you throw together all the subjects, all the studies, you could, you could see a really nice relationship there. See how strong that is across all the different types of programs they've, they've put together um, just to see how, how important really is it? Can you, can you say like the guy who went from hundred pounds to 200 pounds is going to grow, um, you know, how much the variability in, in progress is a function of just how much you progress in the gym. Yeah. Um, 
Because they're, you know, they're examples of pro bodybuilders who weren't terribly strong, but they just had that genetic, you know, um, advantage that just the stimulus itself was enough, you know, it's just to be lifting. Yeah. I think your description as well of obviously like form photos function. So we're doing kind of everything we need to be doing to grow. And then we see kind of the PR, but it's not the PR that caused the growth. It's everything behind there. But it's also, you have to almost chase that PR for it to work. I know at least I do where I push myself to things that I'm like in my head, I'm like, man, that's going to be really hard. But if I don't do that, then I'm not going to keep pushing to kind of get that um, that mm-hmm. kind of growth stimulus as, as it were. And so I think that's an important part of it kind of like, you're not trying to chase the PRs all the time, but you need to be making sure you're working hard enough. And sometimes you have to put yourself in a position where you're going to be exposed to that and it will come yeah. as a result of all the hard work prior to it. But you have to, like you mentioned, and, and I think it's fine. And I also have changed my perspective on this in terms of like form where like, I like perfect form, but I mm-hmm. think you can take that to the point where you don't ever put yourself into positions where you are pushing yourself hard enough, especially as you get more advanced to stress yeah. the, the body enough. And like you said, you you need to now and then like have the intensity there. And sometimes that means form isn't going to look, I don't know, perfect from the outside in. And you can always, and then do the reset, like you mentioned. I, I think that's important because, right. yeah, you don't want to chase like the PRs for the sake and like you shorten your range of motion, you more muscle momentum, like that's where those shorter term proxies sometimes can help where you're like, man, I don't feel that. Like you said, the my muscle connection, my chest right. no longer feels it because I'm bouncing yeah. off my chest and whatever. Right. It's just all my joints. So yeah. I think that was brilliantly described. You know, there's, a, there's an interesting thing too, because um, I mentioned like flywheel training and electrical stimulation um, and my muscle connection. So if you look at, for instance, how isokinetic um, like for, for my PhD, we used, we used a model. We wanted to really, impl- we were testing whether creatine enhanced muscle growth. It didn't seem to show an effect in, in my study. Um, but we want to use a model that really would evoke some muscle growth. Um, so muscle is stronger on eccentrics than on concentrics. We know this, it's just how it functions. You're not, you can't maximally activate a muscle during an eccentric contraction because the nervous system has some built-in inhibition there. You see this when you compare electrically evoked contractions, animals, they can you know, do a max effort thing. Humans, you're going to you, you hurt somebody, although you can go really, really high. Um, so there's always some inhibition, but you have more, more strength and more force relative to the muscle that's being used when the muscle, when you're lowering a given weight. And that's why if you, there's a nice meta-analysis that Brad was involved with. I think Schoenfeld, I think it was the first name on this one, maybe. Um showing that eccentrics generally produce more muscle growth than concentrics do. Um, and that of course has to fit in this, you know, optimal volume, what you can recover from, but you got a better stimulus there. It's a more potent stimulus, you can say. Um, and the thing is when you're doing like perfect, clean kind of robotic form where you've got a, a same tempo on the way up as on the way down, let's say, and there's no body English involved, um, you're basically limiting the amount of force you can produce um, because of in the weight that you use because your concentric is very controlled and then you're just lowering that weight. Whereas you could be lowering more weight than you lifted if you had the right machine that would do that. There's There was a Life Fitness had a line of machines that would overload on the eccentric. Um, and if you train, for instance, like someone like Branch Warren and Johnny Jackson are known known for training, pretty pretty sloppy. Um, and even even Ronnie is quote unquote sloppy. I say this not in like a negative way, but just so everyone know what I mean. Ronnie, from watching him, he had a really good mind muscle connection. So let's say he's going to do a 405 pound bent over row um, and he can lower that weight 
um, under control, but he may have to throw some body English. If, if Ronnie went dead and tried to do like a pen lay row with 405, right? I don't know, even if his strongest, he probably could have got a few reps, but he would have been doing sets of 15, right? He would have just, you know, been able to methodically lift it and lower it. He was moving that weight around, but he was activating the target muscle and employing body English to lighten the load on the way up to get it moving. Not so much that momentum was just fly, flinging it up and there was no tension on the second half of the rep, but enough. And this is a skill. And I'm not su- suggesting people go and start trying to flip, throw everything around the around the, <laughs> the gym doing this. But we've got a more optimal loading across a rep when you can you can maximally activate on the concentric and maximally activate on the eccentric as an isometrics, as in with um, uh, electric electrically evoked contractions. Because they just turn the muscle on. There's no inhibition involved. If you hit, got a motor unit going, you got the electrodes on. You turn that, turn on those motor units. They're on the entire time. You do the model that we used in my in my dissertation. People can look up my dissertation, Stevenson and Dudley, or um, we published we published the the, the research. Ruther R U T H E R is the original study we kind of based it off of. Um, and you just sit in an iso- isokinetic device, and knee extensions were done, and we would start off with, I think we start with about 80% of a one rep max or a maximal voluntary contraction. It's a lot of force. And the machine would go up, take a second to go up, and then it would just come back down. And then we, we'd actually put a little pause in there because there's so much force, there was massive fatigue. So we wanted to be able to have force production. So we would actually put, I think, four seconds rest in there. So four seconds, we're doing sets of 10 like that. Work from three, I think, to five sets of 10. The force that would produce on those eccentrics, even with only activating maybe 80% of the muscle available, was higher what those individuals could produce eccentrically. And based on that Ruther study, the muscle growth was twice as fast over the course of like eight weeks compared to doing that training voluntary. And that training voluntary with an isokinetic device is better than free weight training because you can push as hard as you want on the way up and, and hard as you want on the way on the way back. So if you can have max if you could have maximum effort on the way up and the way back you'd have better better growth and what you can sort of simulate in that regard if with some assistant this is what force negatives are about for instance at the end of a set or when someone throws some some body english in or you can do this you can do this with um like with a bicep curl if you want like a concentration curl if you can get coordinated enough that's very hard to do or simply with body english is you add a little body english so you're lifting a heavier load than you could lift with perfect clean non-momentum based form and then you could have to be very disciplined in controlling that negative using the target muscles because you've got the strength to do that assuming you've chosen the wrong weight so a little assistance on the way up and then lower on the way down means you could have with the assistance a very very high near maximum effort contraction on the way up and then a very very difficult eccentric little help on the way up full load on the way back little help on the way up full load on the way down and back and forth so Body English, so getting to where where we kind of started, where I started with this idea is if you're thinking about like, how can I add a little bit of extra stimulus? This is what, I mean, Joe Weider, you know, for as much as people kind of Google it or laugh at, giggle at some of his his notions, like the muscle confusion principle, there's something to say for that, right? I mean, you're varying varying the the central nervous system stimulus because it has to figure out how to do an exercise. There's actually confusion, so to speak, in the activation pattern until you get more skilled at it. I don't know if you're not really confused, but you just haven't learned how to do that more effectively or efficiently. So we've got 
a way to add a stimulus by doing, for instance, force negatives. You go to the end of your set and then you push as hard as you can and you can still lower that load. There's um, Per Tesh, who's someone who Dr. Dudley worked with. Um, he's is world famous Swedish um, exercise physiologist, did a ton of phenomenal work. And he's got a study where they I think they did 20 maximal effort eccentric only contractions. There's basically no fatigue because the fatigue is minimal. Something about going in back, going in reverse produces more force. So you could you could do a couple sloppy reps at the end there. And and I've even suggested this to clients, and I've done this myself, where that's that's your protocol. You're you're gonna go and keep, let's say you want to keep your volume low, but you want to keep the stimulus high. So literally kind of a high stimulus density, so to speak. And you do your controlled sets where you've got quote unquote perfect form. You're not throwing the weight around. You're doing every rep as the previous one until you come to a grinding halt at failure. And then assuming your low back's good, everything seems safe, you're good to go. Now you've got a great mind muscle connection because that muscle has just been torched by the previous set and you throw in two or three forced reps and eventually you get to where, okay, these are just sloppy. I'm just throwing the weight around, but you will be able to do in many cases, depending on the exercise and the person, you can even you can even literally pull, throw one up and do do a, like a negative as slow as you possibly can, right? Add two of those, and then when you can't hold the weight, you know, for a normal tempo, then you're done. But you add those, and that's that's a little cherry. That's an intensification technique, as John would call them. Um, and because of this force velocity curve, um, that's a way. That's sort of I'm going to coin a new term for beyond effective reps. You might say beyond failure training, beyond effect. Those are super effective reps. In a certain sense, but you got to be careful. You just can't, you know, throw those in, you know, all over the place. Yeah. Um, but there's something to say for that, you know, because that type of training for a given volume um, in those instances, isokinetic flywheel is something too, where, you know, you got massive eccentric, you you can keep on adding and those, that's just, that's just crazy. I really want to, I really want to, what I want to do is actually set up, I have kind of a Smith machine apparatus here at home and set up a dual flywheels so I can do squats that way. Oh, wow. Or do presses that way. That'd yeah. Cool. Yeah. On a barbell. All right. Um, you can, of course, do curls that way. And it's just, ah, oh, just destroys you. Right. I bet. Yeah. So anyway, there's something, there's something to say for that, you know, optimizing that and looking at like just rep tempo for some people, you know, you can get the point yep. where you're just, just bouncing into the bouncing into your reps and you can, that could be the solution for some people is like, you're just, you're just training sloppy. There's a tendency amongst many people, and, and I've had this one. This is, I think, how I first recognize it is you're, especially if you've got, like, for instance, pressing is the easiest example, you tend to be a delt pusher. So you're like, okay, I really focus on my chest, right? So I'm going to push up with my chest, like, okay, good, get her for the next rep. Push up with my chest, get her for the next rep. Well, on the way down, you're going back to your old pattern. And actually, the, the areas in your brain that coordinate concentric contractions are different motor motor neurons up in the brain in the motor motor programming area um, in your cerebral cortex. So you can you can push up with the chest, and that gives you the most uh, fatigue, the most metabolite production. Um, so you're going to feel that still, but then you're coming down, and you're not using the chest because you're not thinking about it. And that's not your normal, you're, you're a delt presser. You don't press with your chest just naturally for whatever reason, or at least on this exercise. So you got to make sure, okay, I'm going to still stay, keep the chest activated on the negative and not let my delts come into play. Um, what that does too, because our brains are very smart, they want to avoid fatigue. 
is you don't fatigue much on the eccentrics, but you do, if you push up with your chest, let's say somehow you could almost shut your pecs off and, and, and then let the delts and triceps lower the weight. You just gave your, your pecs a rest, you know, so you're going to get yeah. more reps that way. You can actually, I've caught myself doing this. It's been many years where I'm like, holy shit, I'm just, I'm doing negatives with my delts and concentric with my chest. I'm hearing, feeling my chest, but I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I could just, you, and what you can see sometimes when people do that, as you can hope they can see me is their elbows will, will change positions. Yeah. They'll press with the chest like this, and then they'll come down like that. It's more of a, a, a tricep-based press, and then they'll come like this. And beginners do that all the time. You see, like, Makes the sense. wobbly elbow thing. You've probably seen that when people are pressing, and that, I think that's what they're doing. That's my best guess. I haven't have no EMG data, but that makes sense because we know that, you know, elbows tucked is a more tricep-based pressing position. So, yeah, there's all sorts of little little tricks that, you know, and I think the question you kind of got at was, like, with my program, but with clients is I – I just try to go and explore that landscape of what they've done and what's worked and don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, but then try to think about what haven't they done, lengthened, positioned, those sorts of things, you know, putting the muscle in a disadvantageous position. What are the things that, that they have intended to, they may have missed, they knew, and they just didn't try. Um, it's easier when you're not that person from a third person perspective, as you know, as a coach to say, yeah. oh yeah, well, this is it, right? Like. If it were you, you'd never figured it out. And you're like, how could I not have known that? Like, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Hello. You know, I was just telling somebody else. I was just telling one of my own clients the same thing. Thank you for telling me what I already knew, which is yeah. a lot of what coaches do, I think, yeah. in many cases. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We create the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think a lot of the time I say the people I work with and I coach them, it's like I'm saving them from themselves and I'm telling them what they already know they should be doing yeah. a lot of the time. Uh, but yeah. I thought your your points there about kind of perfect technique and everything and the momentum part, it's definitely a skill because yeah. I, I know I, I did not have it <laughs> when I first was going mm -hmm. about, I think about pulling movements a lot of the time where I do think a bit of momentum coming in can really help like a bent over row is a great example where just where it's yeah. a huge sticking point right at the top just use right. some kind of yeah. muscle driven momentum almost not just swinging and then control it down and uh, i think you sort of alluded this alluded to this as well where even like tempo like some people that kind of really slow controlled like lift can feel really good for them like on the eccentric particularly but other people like a bit faster feels better to them and you just kind of find mm -hmm. kind of works what works for you and at least when i'm doing it for my back training i know when like when i do a rep and like that wasn't my back 
Like I can, like yeah. the my muscle connection is at a point where I'm like, like that. That was not reps in reserve. That's technical failure. There's just no right. point in me going. It's yes. it's all bicep now or something. So yeah. I often use that. But like you said, it's all learned, and and you don't get to this point. You probably don't need to get to this point either, because this is when it all comes and matters more. Because kind of when you're newer to lifting, you kind of grow a bit much more easily. Most people, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's the the thing that you know. I just heard someone else mention. I said before is that some of the best athletes. Once you get to that level, everyone's got good genetics and they grew without having to figure these things out because they just, um, some case, there's kind of two, I'm thinking now, I'm just concocting this idea right now, but there's a scenario where someone just has good genetics for muscle growth. And, um, but they don't necessarily, maybe they don't have the athleticism that comes with learning how to have a really good mind-muscle connection. Um, so for them to get more muscle growth after they've advanced, they've got somewhere to go. Um and of course, there's other situations where someone and like Dave Henry was someone like this. I just watched, like could just see when he trained, like he knew how to hit the, like I would try to hang with Dave weight wise when we trained together all those years. And, you know, he would always beat me on chest and we were, I could get him on legs a lot of the times and back were really close, but all in all, probably he had a, he was using less muscle and and he would, or maybe he had more muscle in some cases you might say, but his form was better in terms of mind muscle connection. Like D- Dave, Dave could have flipped a switch and just gone into powerlifting mode and probably just destroyed me on a lot of those exercises and just been much, much stronger than he was. But he was doing them in a way that targeted the muscle we were trying to target because he could do that. And I was just trying to hang with the big dog. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so and I, I, I tell you what I learned my own my lesson. This is a kind of a, a sort of related story. When we first started training before we did DC training, um, he's the pro. Right. So we just I just start I took on his training regime. And at that time, I wasn't as strong as Dave, um, really in anything. So um, I was trying to hang with him, though, because I'm kind of a competitive guy. And I would do like a, he'd do 15 reps with a weight and I would do 10. And then I'd have to do like a widow maker to get to 15 <laughs> or even 16. And I did that with every set. Right. And I did that for months and months. At one point, eventually I came to the gym and, and I would get done with the workout and my whole body was just riddled with inflammation. Everything hurt like all day long continuous constant achy pain it was ridiculous it was way beyond so that was too much that was yeah. way too much um but that was that was basically because every time i would train chest i trained my triceps just as hard because i was getting sloppy and not being targeted whereas dave was having no problems with that because he was training the right way yeah. his exercises were targeted at the muscle and he wasn't getting overlapping training in the accessory muscles. I was training my legs when I was when I was training overhead presses, you know, just because yeah. I was jerking around in the seat, just trying to get the weight to move. It was silly, you know. So I learned the hard way on that one. Yeah, for sure. No, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if we've covered this uh, question, Scott. It was the, has there been any big changes in the way you program for hypertrophy over the last decade? Or mm. And I extended this and I, I didn't pass this by you, but I thought, why not extend it to nutrition as well? I thought that might be interesting. Oh, um, it was about 10 years ago when I first developed fortitude training. So, um, I think it was like eight years ago when I published the book. So yeah, like that time frame actually encapsulates when I learned a lot there, when I overtrained myself, um, doing, uh, Leo Costa's Titan training. And I learned that high frequency can work really well. I learned that high reps can work really well. Um, it's, it's hard to remember back that far. Um, the thing I think I've, there's a couple of things I've learned and some of this has just been related to 
um, working with older athletes and being an older athlete is stuff we've already talked about is that that higher rep range can really be effective. I started doing that before the higher rep studies came out and it, it came in my case from, from small injuries. I got, I've got two little small tricep tears, kind of a little, you know, middle, like a little divot in each tricep. And I'm like, okay, got to hang off that. So I didn't just doing like literally nothing that activated my triceps. I didn't want to you know rip my triceps in half. And um, when I came back to training, I just started doing really high reps. Um, and I just kind of progressed with that. And I just kept the reps high and I just getting stronger and stronger with higher reps, much less weight than I used before. And eventually I got to the point, maybe three or four months into that, I'm like, my triceps looks better, look better than they ever had. Yeah. <laughs> like what's going on here, right? But I was being very, very controlled, very, very careful because I didn't want to tear, I didn't hurt myself more than I already had. Yeah. Um, so I learned about mind muscle connection. I learned about higher reps being being important. Um, that was a huge, a huge insight. And that went into the pump set idea with um with fortitude training. Um I think one of the things too is how important auto regulation is. You know, I used to just we just go and this was just that was just that was just me trying to hang with Dave. It was just so much fun to train with Dave, you know. And he just recovers better. He does as a as far as bodybuilding goes, he does everything better than me. Yeah. You know, it was that paled in comparison. Um, I actually, at one point, we, it was the last day of our, we actually were supposed to have a um, uh, a cruise. We are supposed to have stop training, but we were going to train with a guy, a buddy who didn't actually make it to the training session. We, we went ahead and trained. So I shouldn't have done. I said, well, I'm going to set a PR while I'm training. <laughs> and I actually, we we're doing bent over. I have a video of this somewhere on my YouTube, I think. And I was doing a T-bar row. He had nine plates on the bar. And, you know, they're sloppy, crazy, you know, moving around. And I picked the weight up and so psyched into the, into the set that I, I thought I gave myself a hernia and I, I didn't give myself my hernia. Actually, what happened is uh, I tore a little bit of the iliac crest, um, the transverse abdominus muscle actually caused an avulsion fracture of my iliac crest because wow. um, I had a CAT scan to figure this out. So there's a little chip of bone. Um, so that portion of the muscle that was, in, was connected there pulled across and just ca caused a tear along my lower abdominal wall. Um, and I had blood down into my groin and the whole thing. Um, it was pretty nasty, but that was, that was the type of thing where like now, like there's absolutely no reason to train today. Like you're dude, you got so much over functional overreaching that can be had. <laughs> just go relax. You know, don't do that. Like that's just silly. Um, you know, same, not that I'm in the same, you know, that I'm comparable to Dorian Yates, but that's one of the things that he's often says he did try to do too much. Um, so I think I learning from experience and just just the general bodybuilder mentality as we've got. And, and Mike Isratel kind of talks about this like max recoverable volume sure. and yeah. maybe what an optimal volume might be. And I think there, for a lot of us, there's a huge difference between what optimal might be in terms of lower volume and what you could maximally recover from and come back into the gym and maybe creep forward. <clears throat> and the problem comes when you have several of these things we've talked about come into play where you're doing as much volume because you want to recover more is better. And the best bodybuilders do lots of volume and you want to train that way. And volume is the driver of hypertrophy, what have you. Um, and you're making progress because you're slipping in a little bit of body English when you're not intending, it's not an intentional sure. add on and you're doing things like activating accessory muscles more or what have you, and you're still making progress. And the entire time, in this case, you're you basically fooled yourself into believing that you're you're, you're going forward um, in a way that maybe you are to some degree, but your but your volume is so high, your stimulus is so high, um, and you've 
and you're not aware of how overdone it is, you're still recovering. You're still coming in. And maybe you're just barely inching forward a rep or two here, right? But in reality, if you kept your form the same, if you hadn't been doing all those, making all those accommodations, you wouldn't been going anywhere. And you would have known three or four weeks before it's time to take a cruise and step back, or it's time to train with lesser volume. So I've kind of come to realize is that, um, and I think this is one of the reasons why DC training works so well for so many people. And I and I saw like literally a, a video review. Um, uh, Max Matzen did the the view and is in German on Dorian Yates training and there. And Justin, who's one of his um, one of his clients, he also has a, a YouTube video. There's like I just can't believe he got away with that little volume, you know. And they didn't even think he trained that hard. You know, like I've seen people train harder, but but he found what worked for him, you know. Yeah. And with DC training, I think a lot of people, you can train more and you can keep on coming back and doing that because your your mind is stronger than your body and you can figure out ways to make the logbook move forward. But your optim- more optimal volume might be half, might be very, very low, relatively speaking, like what Doreen was doing and what, what a lot of people have made tremendous progress on with DC training. And this is why I have the lowest volume tier in fortitude training being very, very little. It's not like this, you know, eight sets a week or whatever, you know, you can't, at least the way that I like to train, you're not going to be able to train and do eight sets. I couldn't do eight sets of squats a week, two, two sets of four sets of squats to failure the way I train. Uh-uh, no, not a way. And I'm an old, old fart now too, but um, that wouldn't work. So I think people like overestimate how much they can, how much they can get away with because they can get away with it versus how much would be more optimal. Um, and this is, this is why DC training where I think this is what happened with, with people who came to Mike Mentzer back in the day. Yeah. Um, he would take people who are doing way too much and he just, they were just getting the functional overreaching from the excess volume that they were, they were doing. Um, so yeah, starting at the lid list and getting, I think that from nothing to optimal is, a, is maybe even shorter than from optimal to maximal recoverable, so to speak. Um, and it's hard to know that's your, your own personal Mount St. Hypertrophy, but, um, you know, the, the, the depth of the landscape in terms of the volume component given all the other things being equal is much wider, I think, than what people relatively recognize. So that's one thing I wish I could, even with the DC training that we did, I wish I could have uh, maybe not pushed the blast so hard. Some of it was just hanging with Dave. Dave was the main, is the main character during those days. And I was just lucky to be training with Dave. So we did what Dave, you know, what suited him the best. And that was okay. I learned a lot that way. But then when I, I created fortitude training based on the things that seemed work better for me and I and I made I made some progress when that happened too. So those are some things that occurred to I, me. I, I think know. that makes it makes a lot of sense, uh, everything you were kind of describing there. And I'm always interested. I don't often I'm normally a solo trainer, so I don't get to train with people yeah. very often. Uh, but I recently got to train with uh, Mike Chalice, who's our physio and coach, and Pascal as well. We we don't regularly train together. Oh, but cool. what my realization was when you train with other people is just how differently you will, like, even to the smallest extent of what, like, a nought RAR might look like for you, even, like, a if you're leaving more in the tank, what that might look like versus another person or uh-huh. technique and then also, like, volume requirements. Like, all three of us, like, uh-huh. we're incredibly similar in terms of age, in terms of even time in the gym and training, but all of us there was kind of distinct differences in those things to get the best mm-hmm. stimulus for us. So that auto-regulation component and individualizing to you, uh, I think that's so well said. We had a, a study in graduate school. We did, a, I've talked about some other aspects of this. It was a big muscle soreness study. Um, it's a crazy study for various reasons, but we had like, I think we had like 80, maybe a hundred um, 
students that came and people who are associated with the university and they're varying ages, but most of them were in their twenties. And we tried to match them because we had to run them through in giant groups and we're doing um, uh, negative leg presses basically. So it was, you know, put a certain weight on there. We just based it on body weight. We didn't, we, no one was a resistance exercise trained because we don't have any protective effect in play. And so we took people the same body weight and we, if we, as much as we possibly could, we looked at their activity. It's okay if they're a runner, you know, some other form of just not resistance exercise. So, and we grouped them into I think, groups of three or maybe four, I can't recall now. And we'd run them through the ringer. So we put whatever, 400 pounds, people already roughly 200 pounds, they get 400 pounds in the leg press, whatever it is that we used. And we had these two guys that were in the same group. And this was at University of Georgia. Um, and uh, these guys were the same age. They actually both, like literally, there's this, there's a uh, about a three-mile run called the loop. They both literally ran the loop five times a week. In fact, they knew each other. They recognized each other because they see each other running, you know. They didn't. They just waved, you know, they just recognized the other person because they're always doing the same time, roughly. Everything was identical on paper. And um, so we ran through the ringer. We started the study and they had to come back two days later um, to get tested in terms of muscle soreness and strength and everything else. And uh, the one guy comes back um, and we, we set him up like, you know, one at a time. He comes back and he's like... Um, He's like, well, how you doing? You know, and he tested. He's like, I'm good. I'm good. He's like, I know I'm not supposed to, because it's okay if I go running today. And this is when he's, the soreness is going to be highest. We're like, no, no, just hold off. We'll yeah. wait till Friday. We need to get a couple of these measurements in, you know, after this weekend, you can run all you want. It's like, okay, I, all right. I feel pretty good though. It's like, okay, I can do that. No problem. It's just, I just wondered. And um, he was cool with it. And then the next guy um, who was in his group was late. And he showed up like, he's like 45 minutes late and was looking for him. And literally he, someone had to help him into the lab He got back from the inside and, and and we had a couch that was set up in there and he was fucked. He could barely walk. He, and he goes, he literally goes to like sit down on the couch. He's like, you mind if I sit down? Like, no, no problem. We'll just do it wherever you are. Like, you know, felt so bad. And he yeah. literally, he literally just, he kept his legs straight. Cause he didn't want to bend his quads. He didn't want to bend his legs. And he literally just fell. He like literally fell back and <laughs> caught himself on the thing. He was trashed. He was like 90% of his strength was lost. He could barely do a knee extension just with his foot, with the shoe, you know, much less. And this other guy was like nothing. And on paper, they're exactly the same, you know? So there's like, that's just one aspect of the initial damage and the inflammatory response and all the things. There's a whole genetic basis to each, each aspect of the initial injury and the secondary inflammatory response and the, the remodeling that happens, et cetera. Yeah. That's highly individual, you know? So yeah, we saw it. We did some stuff with older folks. Same thing. There was, was the thing that's cool with older folks, and these were all untrained people too. Is they just don't complain. They like <laughs> my experience. And there was there was one guy. Um, he actually was a, um, a professor emeritus in the veterinary physiology department, um, and uh, super nice guy. And he came in, and we put him down the knee extension, and and um, uh, we said, "We'll just warm up. We'll just warm up with ten pounds on the knee extension." And he had. If we had used like a hundred or something like that, you know, that was his one rep max. So we did like eight sets of eight with his one rep max, just, just negatives, which you can do. All right. He handled it just like everyone else. And she just literally, I think there was no pin in there. She's like, just warm up with that. Just to get your knee moving. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> we're like, what, what? That was his one rep max. It was nothing because <laughs> he could barely extend his own knee. That was how bad we whacked him. Oh, and wow. other people are like, they're, there's like, they're 80%, like hardly anything. So that's, that's the nature of the, of the beast. And you just, if you're someone who gets sore like that, you can't 
do 20 sets a week and train really yeah. hard. You're just not. And that's, I fall into that camp. I think I get muscle soreness really pretty easily. Um, and as much as you want to, you're going to have to train more like, not that it's worse thing. You have to train more like Dorian Yates did, you know, find yeah. your optimal, find your spot on the Mount St. Hypertrophy and, and go from there and just accept that you can't train like Ronnie, you know, or Brandon Curry or big Rami or what have you. Um, and, uh, and do with what, but that's the knowing yourself thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, we can't all be Osain Bolt or, or Ronnie Coleman. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though. It's reality and we know how to do it. And we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight-week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You will receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicup so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicup movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together. Oh yeah, no, it, it's exactly that. Cause I think a lot of people do get caught into that trap of, I don't know, they may even just see the the research that's like often reported 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week. And they're like, right. So 20 sets each, cause more's better. And they try and do 20 sets for everything. It's like, wow. Okay. I mean, right. that's a, that's a heck of a lot, especially for like something like legs. And I've been there myself with like quads are something I really want to bring up, but I find I really don't need very much to kind of completely destroy them. And I want mm -hmm. to bring them up, so I want to do more, but I'm like, I, I got to work with what I'm able to recover from, not just plow more there just for the sake. Yeah. You've probably gotten better activating your quads. You've got a better amount. Absolutely. Of, yeah. So you may have to, you do less now, the more, yeah. more trained you get because your, your dose is more potent because you can train harder and better yeah. at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I'd love I, to see, I should, maybe it'd be fun to go back and actually count um, Dorian's weekly sets and see where that fits, you know? Yeah. See if you would if you would be within the ten to twenty or whatever whatever the going range sort of is, because um, I, I I think he's maybe below. You know, yeah. you have to add it up the way it's done in the in the studies, right? Like every press is a triceps movement or what have you. Yes. Um, and but I, and I can't think of what he did exactly offhand, but I would, I'd be interested to do that. I might I might do that just in you know my spare time. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I imagine yeah. so, uh, there'd be someone out there that's probably done it, but I don't yeah. know how easy it would be to, to find it. So if anyone's done it, you can comment below. Unless Scott's it, already gone there. <laughs> it's easy to do. I have blood. I had the book, Blood and Guts. Oh yeah. The video too. I'll just go and look it up. You know, you can yeah. add it up. It'll take you know ten minutes or so. Amazing. So and then yeah. the only the other part of that was nutrition. Is there anything you oh. changed nutritionally? Um, I'm trying to think over the over the ten years. Um. I think the thing that, because yeah, 10 years is a long while, I think the thing that uh, that's important, and this kind of fits with training too, is there's also a law of diminishing returns there um, in terms, and this, this goes for, this goes for training, this definitely goes for drugs, and this goes for food, is if you're trying to push your food to get more calories in and more food, um, that can be really, and more energy, that can be really, really stressful. Because um, I've gone to where, you know, I'm just, every meal is just absolute agony you know it's a fight every meal is like a training session um and jordan peters for instance is someone who's was ate as much as anyone i've ever ever worked with more than anyone I've ever worked with and he could keep on growing from that you know and he's got good genetics and he's got 
his mind is his greatest at asset. Um, and that sort of worked for him. But I think like, for instance, in my case, I went to like 6,000 calories and eventually your body stops going. And I think one aspect of why you stop making progress is simply because there's just so much stress. There's, there's, you know, the constant bloating and feeling nauseated and what have you um, like, that's a stressor. Yeah. You know, if you, if you feel good, um, I'll, I'll just take a, another personal anecdote because these are kind of personal questions, but there was, um, there been a couple of times, like one was after, after I finished my comprehensive exams, um, in, in my, during my PhD and I would been training the whole time. And literally it's the first time I had like a real break and it was right before Christmas. And I just came down, stay with my parents down here in Florida. This is a long time ago. And I didn't there's nothing left to do. Right. I was like, there's, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do. It's the first time I was like that. And I literally just, I slept really well, like huge stress was relief. And I trained and I ate and everything was just, it was like pure. It was like the best vacation ever. Yeah. It's like one of the vacations, like there's no, nothing on the back burner that I need to worry about. And I think I put on like 15 pounds over the course of like eight days. And it looked like it was all muscle mass. I was like, what in the hell? It was just great. I was just training, eating and sleeping. And, you know, I spent a lot of time sitting at the desk studying. So it wasn't just energy output, but it was just like this huge burden was off my, off my back. So I think stress in its various forms can impair your growth. And even with the energy coming in, it's going to change your P ratio, you know, yeah. and it's going to, it's going to, you're going to have cortisol. There's probably some other mechanisms that are involved there, but this being so stressed out by trying to push the food to, to grow, you have to keep your digestive system in, in place. You have to be comfortable with it. You have to be, you know, there's probably some absorption issues. I mean, I would, I would eat so much that literally I would, there's a couple of times I get sick in my sleep, just being honest, like go to sleep, like, okay, I fall asleep and I wake up and threw up. Like it was, I'm like, this is not cool. This is not good. I don't like this one bit, you know, and it wasn't like I wanted. It's just like a mouthful of, you know, nastiness because I was pushing so hard. That's too much. That's yeah. just not optimal. You know, I should have taken a break, um, not trained so long into, a, you know, into a progressive blast where I'm breaking bones in my pelvis, <laughs> you know, and that's when I was at that peak of weight. So there's there's a point of, of diminishing returns from trying to push yourself so much that, you know, you're just, you're, you're going overboard. So that's, that's a big thing. I think um, in terms of like off season diet yeah. is, is you got to keep your GI system happy. Um, and then everything else will be happy. There's an old kind of tenant in Chinese medicine. You know, we talk like there's a 10 questions format that is used to do an intake. There's more than 10 questions, but kind of 10 areas. And a big one is like, how's your digestion? How are you pooping? You can actually look at the at the feces it's, and there's diagnostic criteria you can use to know what's going on in the body based on what you see in the toilet bowl. And somebody has to ask clients to go check it out. But if someone eats and they poop regularly um, and their poop is formed and there's no undigested food in there, et cetera, et cetera, I won't go into that in too much detail, um, then you've got a good chance someone's doing pretty well, right? But you talk to stressed out people and this isn't a, this isn't like coffee talk, you know? talk about the weather, talk about your poop. Those things don't normally like happen, <laughs> yeah. in, you know, at the bus stop, but there are people that, you know, they poop like once every four or five days. That's more common, I think, than we recognize. And they're typically very stressed out. There's something going on there. So keeping your digestive system in, in place and track, I think is really, really important. And yeah. that's, we're, we're trying to hack the system. So that's where, you know, probiotics and digestive enzymes and 
you know, if you're going to use intra-workouts, things like highly branched cyclic dextrins and, you know, food that suits you, don't just do chicken and rice because everyone does chicken and rice. Find the food that works with your system and your, your microbiome, what have you. Um, so individualizing your, your nutrition, but being careful that there's too much is too much um, with the food is super important. You can have um, people that grow really, really well eating very, very little. It could be that, you know, 4,000 calories could be better because you handle the food you know, and um, you're not stressed, you're not nauseated, it could be better than 5,000. So depends on the person, depends on how you handle it. So that's kind of one thought that popped in my head. Yeah, I think that's uh, your responses here sound like a, a very mature bodybuilder in the sense that the things I don't think I appreciated maybe five years ago, particularly maybe more like to, kind of into 10. I mean, I've been training for over a decade now myself, yeah. um, but they're things that I'm like, yeah, like, as a bodybuilder, I think you just become a bit like all bodybuilders. We're good at pushing hard. That's kind of why, what drives us to like compete mm -hmm. as well. Like we just like that kind of gnarliness to get into that leanness. But to be our best and to keep progressing, we have to like try and be smart. And sometimes the harder thing mm -hmm. to do is pull back <laughs> and not keep yeah. pushing and thinking we need to do that. And I think that's kind of, yeah, with the training, with kind of pushing your food up and everything. Yeah. I think those are some of the things you've kind of learned. Right. Actually, listen to my body. Let's kind of tailor it to how I'm responding, not just to what I think right. I should have to do. Right. There's an old, you see this um, portrayed in like, um, I think I saw it in one of the Karate Kid movies. You see it in, is it in various Kung Fu movies um, where there's sort of a, a spiritual aspect um, yeah. to the to the martial artist. Um, cause he's doing external martial arts, but he's also an internal martial artist. So he's, he's trying to, um, develop his internal self and knowing himself, um, and having a sense of control. So he's got immense power and immense drive like bodybuilders do. There's an, you know, there's, there's something freeing to just like letting absolutely effing loose in the gym and just, just in Chinese medicine, be freeing your chi energy. You're just letting loose. You're just going for it. You know, it's sort of, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a freedom altered states of con consciousness, but there's also this, you see this paradigm where someone's, you know, there's the two guys they've had it out, you know, and they're, they're all the way to the end of the, um, of the battle. And one guy's clearly won, and the other guy has literally the, the, the ability and, and the time to do the killer punch and he, and he holds back. Yeah. He has, he has discipline and he doesn't do that. Um, and that takes more strength than delivering that punch does because he already knew he could do it. You already know that you can, I can force myself for the next three months to put down 6,000 calories of food or whatever. I can do that. There's my mind is stronger than my body, as I mentioned before, but the more disciplined approach is to step back and say, okay, what's going to work best to try to move myself forward as a bodybuilder in terms of my bodybuilding goals. And that's where, you know, I really think, um, like that kind of notion can transfer over to the other aspects of our life. Yeah. You know, especially for bodybuilders who tend to be kind of obsessive compulsive about things. Yeah. It's not, it's a, there's a survival um, value in being able to push, push, push and push and push. But there's also, you know, sort of a spiritual, cultural, personal development value in, in knowing when to pull back and not constantly. I mean, heck, we just think about it in terms of interpersonal relationships. People, we, we all like to be right to some degree. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's the best thing for your relationship with someone to um, just let them 
say what they say. Even if you, even if like everything it tells you like, no, they're, they're not right. You know, <laughs> it's okay. You don't gotta, you don't gotta, what people do, you don't gotta go and like start a, you know, never ending argument online about something. It's like, no, we can agree to not, to not agree. Yeah. And and that's a more disciplined, that's a stronger approach to take um, because you know what you know and you know what they know and there's the conflict serves no purpose. So, you know, you can keep pushing in the gym, you know, you can do these things, but doing so doesn't serve your purpose. So um, yeah, you don't have to prove anything to yourself and you're actually yeah. displaying greater strength, even though it won't be acknowledged, you know, we, the, the greater the effort, the more the reward is kind of what we're looking for this penultimate delayed gratification at the end of the, yeah. um, that's part of how our kind of brains are wired. Um, you know, rarely at the end, unless you like win the Mr. Olympia or what have you, you know, it's the anticipation of getting up to the show that really feeds the doping into your brain. And once you get there, it's all over and it's like, ah, yeah. okay, <laughs> it's not as quite as good as it was. So just being aware of that and, and, you know, pulling yourself back in those moments when you're trying to evoke that, you know, the expected massive dopamine hit from, I, I didn't miss a meal and I pushed myself and a lot, you know, did all these things that, you know, in retrospect, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't the best. Yeah. I could have been better. Hadn't I not, had I not done those things. Um, I think there's more value in that. And that's one thing that bodybuilding's kind of taught me, you know, yeah. is sometimes the more, the stronger move is to pull back than to push forward. Yeah, I think that's very well said, Sensei Scott. Uh, I call you Sensei. Uh, so we, we pretty much come to the two hour mark. I know you need to go get okay. some training in. You've got an cool, appointment, yeah. so I have some. We yeah. have some more questions. Obviously, I sent you over, but we have to. We'll catch up Next another time. another time, and we can cover yes, those. Sir. I want to say a massive thank you again for coming on. It always uh, is a fantastic chat, and I know people are going to really enjoy yeah. this. Is there anything you want to let people know? Something new in your world that you have to share with people, or is it the same kind of areas to point them to? And I can make sure I link those all up. Um, wenn ihr Deutsch redet, mache ich ein Webinar am Donnerstag dieser Woche. Wahrscheinlich, also, das passt nicht. Um, I was going to advertise for my webinar, but this won't be out by the time it'll be over. <laughs> so, I was going to so say, I don't know what you uh, said, but I imagine yeah, it was uh, the seminar. I started to, I was going to give a whole <laughs> spiel on my webinar. Like, it doesn't make any difference, but I do do webinars auf Deutsch. Um, so look for those on my Instagram for people who want to check those out. I'm doing some of the things I've done before, uh, in English. Um, so those are fun to do. People want to check that out. So fantastic. And, uh, I think that's it. Do it. There's a, actually there's, this will come out, um, or you'll have the, this out before then in the end of January. This is also on my Instagram. I think I'll put another post up. There's a seminar, um, physique enhancement collective. This is the eighth one they've done. It's um, Jeff Black. Um, several Alan Aragon's going to actually be there at this one. Many people probably know, okay. probably know Alan. Yep. Um, this is in Tampa, end of January. There's going to be a nice crew of of um, people talking, and I'll be one of them. So people are in Very the cool. U.S., in the Florida area, end of January. That'll be happening. Awesome. Yeah, this will be out before then. So uh, cool. I know we have uh, plenty of Florida listeners, so they can they can go and enjoy that. And yeah, again, uh -huh. thank you, Scott, for taking the time and, and coming on. I'll make sure your Instagram, everything's linked below so people can go be checking that out and keep up to date with everything. And we'll catch you soon, guys. Thanks for cool. listening. Thanks, brother. Thank you. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Flohr. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. 
the Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people, uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is gonna be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there, you can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also gonna be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We cap them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.